Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Hispanard. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you guys. I want to say that in advance. Um, tonight, I am recording on Tuesday night, which is election night, and I do not want to get into politics, but I did uh, want to, well, although I don't want to talk about politics and results and what's going on in the country. I did, uh, I thought it was relevant with what I was going to talk about tonight, which was Andor, and um, I'm ready to jump into it and to do a full recommendation as well as breakdown of the various episodes that I've watched. I've not finished the show yet. I don't even think the final episodes are up yet, but uh, I'm up to episode seven. I rewatched it with the wife, and then we, I got her caught up. So now we're just going to finish it up together. So I'm waiting for that. Um, the only reason that I'm talking about both things at once, the election night and the relevance of that, is because I've I've noticed that a lot of people, in fact, I, I got into a slight debate with people online about Andor, and the conversation that I had back and forth is my opinion. And, and, and I think it's always been, uh, you know, for any of you that have listened to me for a while, my position has always been the same is that you don't need a story to have a message to tell a story, meaning, excuse me, meaning a story can have a message, but the message can be very broad and, not specific to any one people or any one culture or any one race or any one uh, gender, you know, male or female. It, if there's a message in the story, it can it can be pretty broad and universal. And I think the message that um, Star Wars is giving us in Andor, uh, that's the way that I view it. The discussions slash debates that I was getting into on Twitter specifically is that Andor is really relevant for today and the, and the things that are going on today. And I just don't see that. I, I see parallels, but the parallels are universal rather than specific. So when I'm watching Andor, I'm not watching the Republicans or the Democrats or Libertarians or, uh, you know, name whatever party. I'm watching ideas up on screen and ideas about systems for sure. That I agree with anybody that is saying that parallel systems are being represented up on screen on Andor. Uh, I, I would completely agree that that is the case. What I think that the um, producers and the showrunner, uh, to, uh, Tony Gilroy, and uh, what, the, what the writing team, what they've done so beautifully is that they're representing what we've always known since we were kids. If you're an old, you know, old school like me, uh, then you grew up watching Star Wars. So you knew that the Empire was evil and you knew that there was a rebellion and the, the rebels were good guys. And in fact, you know, there's, a, there's been a lot of conversation about George Lucas and the message that he was attempting to bring forward. And that Star Wars, you know, it, I think it's a good argument that Star Wars has definitely always been political. It's always been centered around politics, but those politics are not, they're not very nuanced you know, there's not a lot of uh, as much gray as people would like to believe that there is. In fact, I think 
in my opinion, George Lucas made a very black and white story. There, There's clearly bad guys and clearly good guys. And the bad guys, the head of the bad guys is this enforcer, Darth Vader. And then above him is literally an emperor, a guy that has made himself the ruler of this section of the galaxy that we're dealing with, you know, and, um, I mean, that could not be more black and white. There is no gray in there. After that, after the emperor and his enforcer, you know, Darth Vader, after that, it's just all lieutenants that their job is to maintain and enforce this one individual's idea of what order is for the galaxy. And, you know, you're not even, you're not even really necessarily given all of his specific points of view. Like the emperor doesn't have a complicated uh, system that he works within. He, and in fact, in a lot of ways, when you look at Star Wars, he's not necessarily enslaving the universe. There's not, there's not a parallel like what you would get from the stories that we grew up in history listening uh, to and learning about in Egypt, for example, where the pharaohs at one point, they enslaved a, a people, the, the Semitic people, the, you know, the Jewish people, and there was a very specific reason for that enslavement. They used them as, as labor, according to the history books, to build things like pyramids. Now, I call BS on all that. I, I don't really buy it ever since, you know, since I've been an adult and I've been reading and studying and listening to things on my own. I don't think that conclusion, you can come to that conclusion, but that's a debate for another day. But while you have that narrative that plays out there and tells you, hey, this is what enslavement looks like and this is what it looks like to be under a king or under an emperor or under a pharaoh or whatever... Star Wars is never that specific. The systems are still allowed to, you know, uh, function as they do. But there's definitely a tribute and a tax that is put on them. There's a burden for sure that is put on them. But the Emperor doesn't have any super lofty goals that, that are revealed to us in, in, in the original series. In the original series, it's just about him maintaining power and arranging the universe to function in a specific way. Although again, that specific way, we're not ever really told what that means because, you know, while you have uh, a presence, while you have the empire, the presence of the empire across the entire star system on multiple worlds, and they are, you know, enforcing and keeping the peace and, and doing what they do. And, and obviously, you know, in, in that story, there is abuse of power within the group of people that are, that are um, responsible for maintaining this order and this peace. There's definitely a keeping down of, you know, the people. But it seems like, uh, you know, the systems that we've, that we've come to know in the real world do still exist in the Star Wars universe of... As long as you're able to grease palms and you're able to, you know, um, make deals, then then you're able to, to have a pretty easygoing functional life. Like not not everything in the Star Wars universe is bad for everybody. It's only bad for a certain group of people. And I would say I would argue that it is the worst for the Jedi, for example. They are the only identified group in the Star Wars universe during the Empire uh, during the Emperor's reign they are the only ones that are not allowed to flourish in any way you know they are hunted down they are killed immediately there needs there can be no opposition of the of wizards that you know exist in the galaxy that might someday, decide that the emperor needs to be taken down and from the emperor's point of view it would be being deposed you know so it's like he won't even allow the opportunity of a benign wizard that exists out there because the you know they might 
just just in their existence alone might bring a different point of view or way of thinking about what freedom you know might mean so it is a limited type of enslavement that the emperor um, institutes across the galaxy but more importantly there's a very specific group of people that he says uh-uh we're you know you cannot exist because you provide something different you know uh, that is a, a threat to me and so you know as you grow up and you think about it you're like huh that's that's kind of interesting like the general population gets to exist as as they get to exist um you're not really given any clear indication of exactly what the emperor does to necessarily keep anybody down you know that's left vague and ambiguous and i think it's on purpose because i think even you know george lucas <clears throat> wasn't interested in drilling down and focusing on you know for example Every single year, the emperor demands that the the firstborn child of every, you know, alien and human across the galaxy, that they be given to him as a tribute. And, and, you know, in turn, we know that those babies get thrown into rancor pits and they become food for his various animals that that he has. Like, you don't have that kind of suppression going on. You don't have even the suppression of the ability to make money and to grow. Like we, in fact, in Andor, we see, you know, the, the Skarsgård character, he is the, um, the head of one section of the rebellion, but he's able to flourish on Coruscant, which is the capital world of the galaxy where the Jedi temple used to exist. And he, and he has a successful antiquities shop. So, you know, People are still uh, uh, making a living in this system. And in some cases, they're making a really good living. You know, and, and obviously, like, the Senate is a farce. We, we do understand that, like, the, the emperor knows that there's a certain game that has to be played to keep the people appeased, you know, up to a certain point so that there's not an all-out rebellion. And that is the point of this story and that is the point of this show and in fact the uh, like i said the the Skarsgård character he he makes it abundantly clear to mon matha you know he he tells her like we have to make things extreme for the people around us so that they understand that they are currently being held down and that there is one man up on, you know, he, he's up on the top and and he's instituted this system of of passive um, slavery. You know, it's not um, and, you know, in fact, philosophers, you know, real world philosophers have talked about this with the masses is that the way, you know, in our world, that the best way to institute a type of slavery is to give everybody what they want and what what they think that they need so that they don't wonder at what else is possible and what else is out there. I mean, that's definitely, you know, the system that not only do we have in this country but in other countries of of the welfare system. The welfare system is is originally may not have been created to keep people passive and from from seeking more, but it is what it's actually become, you know, like the problem with giving everybody anything free is that they don't value that the way that they would if they worked for it, which is very different from if somebody gives you a gift from like, if somebody you love gives you a gift, you cherish the gift. If somebody, you know, a, a father passes on to his son, a, a classic car, there's, uh, there's a big incentive for the son to, to care for that vehicle, to cherish the vehicle, you know, to be appreciative of, of that because he understands or might understand like the time and effort and work and, and what's being handed down, which, you know, is a system that uh, is not uniquely American, but I think um, uh, definitely Americans took it to another level of working, creating, building, 
making, you know, your children appreciative of what you've worked and built for, and then passing it along, not just as an inheritance, but as something that you have to manage and maintain and, and be creative and growing so that you can, again, pass it on to the next generation. And this is something that actually a lot of people, a lot of politicians in this country don't agree with and they don't want, but it's a meaningful thing to create and to maintain and to be able to pass on and to, when you pass it on, to have raised those people correctly so that they understand the value of what's being passed on and the value of maintaining. So this is one of the things, for example, that potentially the the rebellion, or not the rebellion, but the empire in Star Wars, it's one of the things that they potentially affect is that ability to have this individual individualistic freedom to grow and to pass things on. Um, and And so... You know, again, Andor to me is not so much a parallel of what's happening today. It's more to me. It's more of a of the story of a man that is trapped and does not want to take sides, does not want to be bothered with, you know, a rebellion or the empire. He wants to, and you know, again, Cassian Andor at this point is when we meet him is a bit of a low life. Uh, and a hustler and always looking for the next, you know, score. And, and I, and I suspect, you know, a lot of that comes from the fact that he, he has con- consistently gotten burned in his life. So I, I will get into it now and we'll, you know, unfold it a little bit more, but episode one, Casa, uh, you know, shows you, uh, Cassian Andor and, and what it, the opening of it, uh, of the first episode is him traveling to this planet where he's inquiring about his sister and you start to get little, uh, bits and pieces of his past. You see him as a, as a young boy, you see this pretty, you know, little girl that I'm assuming is his sister. And, uh, he seems to have, you know, a, a ton of affection. Like they did a really wonderful thing. I was telling my wife about that. Um, when, whenever they show Andor, uh, you know, Cassian, as a as a boy, the the kids the the group that he's with they speak the, uh, a language and Disney opted not to translate what it is that they're saying to one another, and most of the time that would be annoying, but in this case it actually works really well because you have to accept the whatever the emotion and the back and forth that is happening between the this small group of kids. You have to accept it through the acting and you have to interpret it through, you know, through the way that they look at things, the the, the motions that they do with their hands, the, the body language. It's actually, I, I thought it was a pretty genius move, in my opinion. I really liked it a lot. So the first episode is basically him going to the seedy, you know, going to a planet and then going to a seedy section of the planet and uh, like a brothel and looking for his sister and and not finding her. And as he's making his way out, these two guys, uh, that are, they're not even with the empire. They are like security. They're, they're like, uh, like pumped up security for this, for this planet. They, you know, decide to, to harass him and they end up harassing the wrong person. He accidentally kills one of the guys, you know, with a headbutt, and, and then ends up killing the other guy when the other guy is, uh, starts saying, Hey, you know what? we'll go in together and, and we'll just say this was an accident and, and we'll work this out. And, and for uh, Cassie and he's like, uh, Nope, no deal. And shoots a guy in the head, which again, the first episode to me, I was like, Whoa, it's going to be this kind of show. Like that's crazy. Now they don't show the laser going through the dude's head, but the way that it's framed. And by the way, every single episode, in my opinion, has been gorgeous in the way that uh, the the shows have been directed that I mean everybody's just killing it on on this series like the the art department the direction the storytelling everything to me is it's hidden everything that I love about a show the intrigue and here's what's interesting I love it as much as 
Stranger Things season four, but it could not be more different from, you know, from Stranger Things. Like one is science fiction horror. The other one is, you know, science fiction like space. But they they were both brilliantly done. And I, I will say right now that Andor to me looks like one of the more the most expensive shows that I've ever seen on TV. And I happened, you know, I looked up the budget for it. And each episode is anywhere between 15 to 25 million bucks uh, an episode, which is actually incredibly cheap for the for the level of, of beautiful detail that we're getting in each episode, as opposed and I said this before, but I'll say it again, as opposed to um, Rings of Power, which was 60 million an episode and you just just didn't see it on screen like it. It never manifested for me in a way that Andor is doing it Andor feels like you're living you know you're you're experiencing rather all the different places that they go to the worlds the machinery the ships like everything feels incredibly grounded in a way that even the Mandalorian or Boba Fett or you know any of the other newer shows that have come out from uh Disney uh you know Disney Plus series they just don't have that that same weight to them so in that regard, too, Andor is just, uh, they, they've just killed it. I mean, they, they have something incredible on their hands. I I pray that season two is able to live up to season one in its story structure, in its acting, and certainly in its art direction. It's it's amazing. But um, so, you know, he, he kills that guy. Uh, he kills both guys. And then he takes off and he heads back to his home planet and then from there, you see him, uh, he's, he's trying to make a deal. He's got an ex-girlfriend that he meet, meets up with. And um, and the way that him and his ex-girlfriend are interacting, her new boyfriend grows suspicious. And it, it totally makes sense. You can see why the guy would be jealous and suspicious. And uh, you can also see that the guy, uh, you know, is trying to kind of fight it off he doesn't want to feel the way that he's feeling but it it does play into you know later part of the series and and, and what ends up happening but um so anyway he's trying to make a deal and he needs um you know his ex-girlfriend to get a hold of this guy that that looks for specific items that are empire owned and that have you know special value to them so that's basically episode one. Episode two, um, let me see here. Uh, so episode two, his ex-girlfriend Bix, she um, she ends up uh, brokering the deal. While that's happening, you start to see other things unfolding. Um, you see this... Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't, he, well, it's, it's a guy, he, he's not the head of the, of the security team that, um, the guys that were, that were killed. He's not the head of the security team, but he's like a right underneath the head guy. And you see that the, uh, the head guy has to go over to some meeting with the empire. So he leaves that dude in charge, this young kind of creepy looking dude and tells him, Hey, you know what? We're going to say that those two guys died bravely, but not too bravely. Don't make a fuss. Don't make any waves. Uh, we're, we're going to basically, uh, uh, we're going to, uh, what's it called? Sweep this all under the rug and we're going to move on with our lives. But this guy can't, he, he, he can't do it. Now, the guy that is coming after uh, Cassian and the guy that ends up creating a giant mess for himself and for Cassian and for the planet that Cassian is living on. That guy's name is Cyril. And he is determined. I mean, first he goes to his superior and he's like, Hey, we got to do something about these guys getting killed. And his superior again is like, Nope, we're just going to bury this under the rug and we're going to move on with our lives. And I've got this meeting I got to go to in the meantime, just hold it down and keep everything as it is. The guy can't listen. In episode two, he starts putting together a team, finds this hilarious redheaded, like, you know, chubby dude who uh, 
who's who's like a sycophant <laughs> to uh, help run point on this mission that is ultimately going to uh, turn into a disaster. In <laughs> uh, in this um, in the second episode called well, the first one was called Casa. The second episode is called That Would Be Me. In this one, you get to see a little bit more of uh, Cassian's life when he's a kid. Uh, they witness in in episode one they witness a ship going down on their planet, and then in episode two you see the kids head over uh, a group of them like teenager ish um, kids who head over to investigate, and they've got weapons with them. What the basically the leader of the kids ends up getting killed. In once they get to the uh, the crashed ship by one of the inhabitants of the ship, and then the kids light him up with uh, these blow dart guns. I mean, they the, the guy turns into a pincushion and then just drops. From there, uh, you see uh, Cassian. He instead of heading back with the group, he gets curious about the ship and he makes his way in there to see what's going on. Uh, so he gets left behind while he's exploring the ship. Episode three, that's when we meet um, the Skarsgård character, uh, the, you know, the Skarsgård, the, the actor guy. Uh, you'll know him, who I'm talking about. If you've seen the Avengers movies, he's actually the uh, professor who ends up getting bewitched by Loki in the first Avengers movie. And Loki needs him to open the Tesseract up. He's a great actor. Like he's, he's shown up in a ton of things in this one. He's, he kills it, man. Like he does this transformative thing where when he's on Coruscant, he's one person. And when he's meeting up, like when we meet him here, he's a completely different guy. And I, I'm going to say that the guy that we meet here is his true self. The guy that is the antiquities dealer on Coruscant that's his his persona, but uh, his name is Luthen. So he arrives to purchase this special navigation box from uh, Cassian, but that's not really what he's there for. What he's actually there for is to recruit him to a mission that has to do with the rebellion. So he arrives, they meet up, he starts breaking down information, and the way that he acts and, and, and the way that he's giving out the info, I mean, it's, he's, the guy is really compelling and you can understand why, even though, uh, Cassian is kind of trigger happy and tends to get out of his problems, you know, with violence, he is intrigued by this guy and all the information that he's given. Uh, in the meantime, the officer that is, you know, uh, uh Cyril that is after Cassian lands on the planet, starts to cause a bunch of trouble, ends up, and the reason that they get there, sorry, the reason they're even able to find where Cassian is, is because Bix, uh, Cassian's ex-girlfriend, her current boy, jealous boyfriend, he makes the call, I think in episode two, and tips them off as to where Cassian is, you know, what planet he's on. So they show up, and it ends up all kinds of bad. I mean, Bix ends up getting detained. She gets smashed into a wall by one of the, you know, one of the officers who is overzealous. When her ex, I mean, when her boyfriend sees what's happened, he ends up getting shot in the chest as he rushes to try to help her out. It's, a, it's just a complete mess. Then on top of that, the, the whole thing goes into a lockdown. Uh, Cassian and Luthen end up getting attacked while they're, you know, while they're there to make an exchange, at least to Cassian's mind, he's supposed to be handing off this, this navigation box. And, you know, Luthen explains like this, what I'm really for here for is you like, I, sure, I'll purchase this thing, but I, I need you, your set of skills, you know, I need your wild card, you know, nest to, to a mission that I'm putting together. They both end up escaping. And again, the way that this whole thing is put together, I mean, I just, I love the pacing from episode one to episode three year. The buildup is just right. Like you understand everybody's motivations. You understand, you know, why the story is moving along the way that it's moving along. And to me, it's, it's just perfect pacing. 
And they also just continually end everything just right. Even when they're giving you Cassian's background, uh, you're, you know, when, when you're seeing him as a kid, that's compelling in and of itself. And it also starts to help you understand as you get to the later episodes what his real motivations are and why my my argument is this is a story about a man that doesn't want to be a rebel and he doesn't want to be in the empire he just wants to be left alone and he wants his family to be left alone and he's looking for something else you know which ultimately is the big score is what he's looking for so that he can live as a free man as free as possible within the system that currently exists which is the empire so luthien uh Luthen takes Cassian and he uh, takes him to this planet called uh, Aldina. And that's where the, the you know, the um, the heist is going to take place. So so part of the show, too, is it's it's a heist uh, movie, you know, or it's, a, or it's a heist show, which is really cool. And uh, but he ends up dropping them in the middle of a group of people that are going to try to pull off this heist. And it sets up a crazy amount of tension, which, again really great and and the actors that we end up meeting for the heist so like so good in their parts and and what they're doing and what what they're all there to do on this planet is to steal a ton of money from the empire because number one the rebellion needs money to be you know to fund the the rebellion but two you end up finding out a little bit down the road and again major spoilers on all this. If you've not seen Andor yet, then just you should have already shut this off and gone and started watching it and then come back and, and you can listen. But, um, you know, and, and you know what, that's a really good point. Rather than breaking down every single episode step by step, I'll, I'll try to be a little bit more vague and just give you more general impressions. Cause there is a lot to say that without even having to do major spoilers, um, Every episode as it's being created, you know, as it was being created and, and as you're being brought into what you're being brought into, it, if it was done incorrectly, it would be jarring. Like you, you just kind of would be like, man, what it well, like if the pacing was off, that's what I mean. It would be a jarring experience. But the way that the stories from episode to episode are structured, I'm not even going to say it's not cookie cutter and it's not paint by numbers at not even not at all it is it is formulaic only in the sense that the showrunner tony gilroy created a beautiful formula and it's i mean and it's a formula that if i were another show and i were looking around this is the formula that i would take i would definitely steal from this uh this show to set up my my show and the way that, you know, things progress and, and expand out because it could so easily fall into this. I'm either lost now as a viewer or boy, did that happen too fast? Huh? And we didn't really have, uh, we didn't really allow things uh, to breathe and have time to grow, which is exactly one of the issues. And I will keep harping on this one of the issues that I had with the rings of power is that it was exactly that they did not allow anybody, any of the characters or any of the places to breathe and to grow with you or on you. Like that just was not an option. And you can see the incredible contrast between bad writing and really well mapped out writing. And that's what, uh, and or is it is, really well mapped out, really well thought out, you know, just everything fits perfectly with the next moment. So, and, or, you know, Cassian makes his escape and the, the explanation that is given to him by, by Luthien, what they're doing, where they're going, what the motivations are. I mean, even that the writing is tight. So you're not getting an overblown explanation of where everything is going. In fact, that's the other beautiful thing about this show. I mean, I can't say enough good things about it, but 
nothing is overexplained and nothing is undershown. So everything that you need to know is there for you, but it's not shoveled into your face. You like you have to make certain connections, but you can make one connection to the next connection because it's all logical. So you know you're you're not ever lost. It's not it's not trying to be um, so so uh, arrogant and intelligent like the story that it you know well if you didn't understand this then that's your fault. Like it never does that. Never does that to the audience. And then at the same time, it's never it's never like dumbing down the situations and the events so that you see the obviousness of what's coming. You know, I, I do find it funny that at one point my wife says, Oh, I don't think that guy's going to make it, you know, one of the characters. And, uh, but I bet you, she had no clue that the character was going to go out the way that he went out. And so, you know, and, and in fact, I'm going to speak, like I said, just a couple of minutes ago, I'm going to speak more vaguely about everything because I would rather that you hear my excitement for, for the show and, and my, my general broad, you know, strokes of, of thought on the show than the specifics and the minutia. And then you go, well, you just told me everything. So now I don't have to go watch the show. That's actually the opposite of what I want to do. I want to, I want to, um, recommend this in such a way that you go, man, I got to see that. Like that sounds pretty darn good. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to continue talking about the things that I love the most about this show. And, um, you know, like I said, one of those, one of the things that I loved a a ton that, that I've seen so far is that the things that are being directed on screen have absolute meaning, whether it's a door opening or, you know, a shot of, of the city or, um, you know, a, a reason for, you know, or like a robot entering into the scene, uh, to like here, there, there will be little tiny spoilers. There's a, there's a cute little red robot that's in the show that, that his name's B and he belongs to, to Cassian and his mother. And he actually belongs to Cassian's mother, really. He's been in in service with her for many, many, many years. And uh, you see the little robot going down the street. And then you see these scary-looking monster things. But they actually, what what they are is they're the equivalent of dogs. They're like street dogs. And they run by and the little robot, like, hunches into himself. And, you know, kind of reminds you a little bit of of Wally in the design. Uh, minus the uh, the track wheels, you know, but it, it's similar boxy design. And so he, you know, closes in on himself, waiting for those things to run by. One of them stops and then decides to pee on him. And then you see a little arm extend out with, you know, what what all Star Wars droids seem to carry with them is this little uh, taser, you know, arm that they have. <laughs> and it, it tasers the dog and then the, the dog takes off. Just that little, that little bit of, of detail. Yeah. I, I, it's absolutely fantastic. And, and this is what you see and what you get on the, in this show is you get a bunch of tiny little details that really help to set a tone and help to sell the idea of alienness and otherworldliness. And you're not, you know, you, you're not in, uh, you're, you're taken out of your own environment and you're, you're put into like a more magical science fiction world. So details matter a lot when you're putting a show together. It's, it makes a difference between sucking me into like what I'm watching and, or taking me out of it to such a degree that, you know, I, I can't root for you. And again, I'll harp and go back to, uh, rings of power. It's exactly, they, they kept doing that. They, they just kept showing me things and doing things in such a way that it would just pull me out of the moment of the episode and of the, the show as a whole. And was really disappointing where I was looking for that immersive, um, you know, getting lost. It, it provided the opposite. It just kept taking me out by the choices that it made and, or, 
is pulling me in deeper and deeper. And I, and like Stranger Things season four, I keep wanting to know what's going to happen. I want to get back to, to various people and see what's happening with their story where, you know, Mon Matha, which is a Star Wars, a long, long, you know, uh, term Star Wars character, someone that we've known about since the original trilogy, I would have never thought in a million years that that character would be interesting, fascinating, attractive, uh, you know, that you would want to see like her motivations and, and what she actually brings to the table of the rebellion. I mean, there's a side story that's going on right now in in the show Andor with her husband and her and her daughter and I I guarantee you will care I guarantee you will you will see a woman that is drowning the only thing that I will say that they've not revealed and I don't know if they're going to end up doing it this season or not and if they don't it won't bother me at all it won't break my heart but I do hope that I it's been announced that Andor is getting a season two. So I definitely think that it has to be addressed at this point right now. We don't know why Mon Matha is motivated to do what she's doing. I don't know why she's in for the rebellion and is, is willing to help the rebellion out and be one of the leaders of the rebellion. I still don't know that. I, I didn't know that in the, in the, old days, you know, the original trilogy, I don't think I ever saw a real clear reason for it in any of the cartoons, uh, you know, any of the animated series. So that's one thing that I really would like to see what the clear motivation is, whether she lost family members, whether her planet somehow got enslaved, like, you know, cause again, to what I was talking about earlier, the empire is not so oppressive that the noose around your neck, you know, is now hanging you. It's more like there's a noose that you're walking around with, you know, everybody on the planet, everybody in the galaxy is walking around with, but it hasn't been tightened. It's just always around your neck, maybe ready to be tightened, but it's, you know, threatening to be tightened, but it, it's not actually tightened. You're able to go about your, your business and do your thing and, and certainly that noose is tied to a, you know, a specific pole where you can't go too far, but, and it's always a threat, but again, you're able to live your life. So I don't know what has caused, you know, uh, or what within the empire is causing Mon Matha to choose to potentially lose her relationship with her husband and to lose her relationship with her daughter but it does seem like we're getting set up to for for her to make that decision and in the meantime it's fascinating to watch her navigate the world of being the you know the political world of being on Coruscant being watched all the time and still knowing that her neck is in the noose still willing to to go through and help to to create this rebellion so I, I definitely would like to know her motivations. I don't know them yet. Cassian's motivations are very clear and very simple to understand. They're very straightforward. And uh, and definitely some of the other characters, like uh, the the uh, police officer, I'll just say that for lack of a better term, the police officer that comes after um, Cassian, uh, the guy Cyril, you can understand his motivations. It, very easy to see. But, um, but yeah, there's other people right now. I mean, Luthien, uh, the guy that recruits Andor, his motivations don't need to be explored any, any more than this guy just, you know, he, he's part of the rebellion in the way that Mon Motha is and in the way that, uh, uh, what's, what's Forrest Whitaker's character's name? in the movies, uh, Saw Gerrera. So some of the characters, like, I don't know, I guess you can just, you can automatically just accept them for being rebels and they don't need to have a very specific backstory. Um, cause you know, I mean, like you can't give every single rebel a backstory, but 
I would like to know Mon Mothma's motivations. I would like to see some kind of tragedy as to why she would, again, risk her life in a way that somebody like Saw Gerrera or somebody like Luthien, actually, they don't even have as much to lose as she does. Now, in the grand scheme of things, all of them have their lives to lose. You know, if they all get caught, they lose their lives for sure. I get that. But Mon Mothma from those two characters, from those two Star Wars characters, Mon Mothma is the only one that is actively within the system, working in the system, actually enjoys the benefits of the system. This this cush life with be, with a beautiful home, a private driver, you know, and she's she gets to, you know, th- put things uh, up, uh, you know, she gets to uh, present things in the Senate and fight for a variety of, of races across the galaxy to make things more, you know, quote unquote, equitable. But um, so I, that's why I need to know her motivations. I need to understand what would turn her from a pretty comfortable life into losing it all and losing her family and having that be um, worth it. That's what I want to know. That's, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm hoping that they, that they do address it. If not this season, I can certainly wait until season two, but I definitely need to see it. And, uh, you know, again, one of the cool things about this, this um, whole show is that, some of the people that you end up meeting, like for example, the guy, the the guys and girls that you meet for the heist, they don't need to have a complicated, detailed background story where they make a, a show about them, and then that brings us up to speed as to their motivations. They're actually brilliantly wrote, you know, why everybody is there and why they would be willing to basically die on this run to, to put a dent, you know, and, and really it's more like a, like a black eye, like a small black eye, you know, on the empire. But, uh, when you see Luthien's motivations or Luthen, when you see Luthen's motivations and what he's trying to do, even his motivations and, and his reasons, which are, you know, they, they're a little bit different, um, in what he's trying to implement than what the people that are about to do the heist, what, you know, their reasons for being there and what they're attempting to do. So I I hope that I've, you know, spoken about this in such a way that it, it whets your appetite and it, and it helps you pull the trigger on the show. Cause I'm telling you, I think you will enjoy it. I think if you, that, I said this before, but I'm going to say it again. The, one of the things that the show pulls off that the last two years, a lot of shows had a really tough time pulling off is that the world, you know, this universe feels really full and it feels alive and it feels like there's a lot going on where some of the shows from the past few years because of COVID and the lockdowns, you know, the people that were creating content didn't have as much to work with when it came to, uh, you know, background people and, uh, you know, adding just, just, having that life, that explosion of life all around like that, that was very noticeable to me. So this show, you know, was able to be created in a time where you could have a ton of extras. And I don't know if they recycled, you know, the same extras over and over again, but whatever they did, man, kudos to them because it really feels like the, the, that universe is alive and and it feels full. And that is like, that is awesome. Now, Stranger Things season four had the opposite and it actually really worked to their favor because uh, they were focused on each, you know, there was four groups that were, that had different stories that were going on. Was it four? Let me, let me see here. There's 11 and then there's Mike and his group and then yeah. And then there's Nancy and her group and then there's Hopper and his group. So yeah, there's four separate groups that are dealing with things and they're, and they're all coming to a head. None of those groups had a lot of, um, like a massive amount of, you know, people that they were with or around or dealing with. And it actually worked really well for that show. 
um, because it got they got to drill down and focus, you know, on on a small group of people each time and what was happening with them. And it kind of made everything feel a little bit more intense. So it worked out really well. But for Andor, having, you know, an expansive uh, amount of people and backgrounds and things going on, that that's actually, um, it, it works so well with the show. And again, it makes, it really makes you feel like you're being pulled out of your reality into, you know, something else. And, and I, I love it. I love it. So yeah, check out check it out for the art design. Check it out for the directing. Check it out for the story. Check it out for you know, and, and even for the politics of it. Uh, like I said at the at the beginning of this, I think you would do yourself a disservice if you try to pin the politics of the show to anything that is going on today in our real world. You know, like I just I don't see it. I feel. Like this is more of a universal and ambiguous, uh, you know, uh, like it's a it's the politics that are happening in this particular Star Wars can be overlaid at any given time, any period. You know, it's a it's a more universal uh, telling of, of the politics rather than, like I said, you know, uh, specifically lay, lay this at the Republicans feet or the Democrats feet or, you know, whatever. Um, this is more, it's broader than that. And then it's more specific because you have an emperor and you have his enforcer and you have, you know, this rebellion. The only thing you don't have is super duper clear motivations as to why the rebellion is necessarily beginning. And that's always been, like I said, vague in the Star Wars universe other than the Jedi being completely destroyed, you know, uh, the average person on any given planet never actually came across a Jedi. The Jedi were, you know, a, a very, very small group that existed. And let's say there's, let's say there's a thousand Jedi. Well, there's thousands of planets with millions to billions of inhabitants, you know, on each planet. And maybe there's more than thousands of planets. Maybe there's hundreds of thousands of planets. So let's say you've got 5,000 Jedi, which, you know, I think I'll look that up uh, at some point in the future here and see if I can determine just about how many Jedi were active before the Emperor took everybody down. But let's say you have 5,000 Jedi you know the 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 only thing that m the average person an alien in the galaxy is they you know they never actually saw one they heard most likely they heard stories and legends but it wouldn't mean much to them like the the word jedi would be like santa claus for the average inhabitant you know of of the star wars universe uh, that's exactly what it would be like to them. So people would have a complete misunderstanding, misconception, which actually is, I think, what works so well to the emperor's, um, to his, his, you know, his advantage, is he was able to paint the Jedi in such a negative light that the galaxy was like, yeah, like, yeah, those guys need to be killed. <laughs> like, it's okay that this is happening because, you know, the Jedi are... They are extreme, you know, extreme cultists with uh, some kind of magical power and they will definitely hurt and enslave us. So the emperor was able to sell the lie to the galaxy as a whole. And because the Jedi to the galaxy as a whole was mostly, you know, a mythical thing, they're like, we don't really care what happens to them. So once the em emperor took over... I'm I really would love to see somebody drill down to show specifically how the galaxy's life changed. Uh, I mean, I can definitely see how certain strategic specific planets lives changed for sure. But I don't know necessarily that you're going to be able to convince me that the entire galaxy's life changed. You know, even even with that like again, again going back to like let's say there's only hundreds of planets, you know, or maybe thousands of planets and maybe not hundreds of thousands of planets, but maybe thousands of planets. You don't have enough people 
to manage slash govern slash police everybody. So, you know, we already know like Tatooine is one of those lawless places and the emperor knows that. The emperor knows that the huts are running, you know, Tatooine. And then there's also, uh, there's another group like the syndicate and like the black hand or something like that. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, of various groups that uh, we were shown in Boba Fett and in the Mandalorian that there's various outlaw groups out there. They basically are poli- policing the, the outer rim, you know, areas of the galaxy and the emperor is like fine to let them exist and be as they are. Like he knows about them and they don't pose any threat to him. So he doesn't send out, you know, Vader or, or the, uh, what are they called? The, uh, the inquisitors, which are, you know, a, a step below regular Jedi, but have Jedi like abilities that, you know, the general population, if you saw Kenobi, that's when you became aware of them. I know them from the clone wars, but, uh, you know, the animated series, but the emperor is not sending those guys out and he's not sending Vader out to take care of these, you know, outer rim, uh, uh, you know, basically mob groups that exist out there he's content to let them exist and and do business as long as he gets a piece of the pie and he gets a cut really the emperor's only big gripe is with jedi and any force sensitive people those are the people that pose a threat to him but we kind of don't really understand you know how the rest of the universe feels about what's going on. I mean, if you look at the, the character, the, the police character from Andor, like his mom and a lot of people, you know, it shows their complacency of being under the thumb of the empire. They're like, well, you know, it's a living and we, we get to continue to live. So I think that's the general point of view of the star Wars universe is like, Hey man, as long as we get to eat and sleep and take care of our kids and raise them, we're okay with what's happening. And that's kind of a fascinating thing of itself. But, um, despite that shortcoming, that's a way that I would see it. Like, you know, it wasn't fully all the way thought out. Like how is the universe necessarily being oppressed? Like I I need a mechanism. And one of the mechanisms would be the emperor has decreed that as soon as you hit 26 years old, you die. (laughs) If that were to be the mechanism that he implemented, you know, universally across, then I would totally understand why there would be a giant group of rebels that would be like, yo, (laughs) I'm not okay with dying when I'm 26. I I need to, you know, make it to my 50s, 60s, 70s, or depending on which race you are, like it might be thousands of years that you're able to live if you're some reptilian, you know, race. But if the emperor was like, yo, 26, everybody's done, everybody's out. And that's a way that I maintain the population. If he had a Thanos style motivation where he's like, I'm going to kill 50% of everybody on every single planet to maintain the environments and maintain the ability to feed everybody. And it's going to be completely random. It could be a baby to a 90 year old woman, you know, to like, it's going to be random. But what I'm trying to tell you is I'm going to snap 50% of you out of existence in the universe, you know, and I'm going to do it brutally by lining you up and having my, my, uh, uh, stormtroopers kill you off. Like again, then I, I'm, I, I can totally 100% understand the motivations of the M of the rebel, the, the rebels and why the rebellion exists. But at this point in the star Wars universe, we don't really have that. It's pretty vague and it's pretty open and it's pretty ambiguous. And, and the rebellion isn't something that is created because the Jedi guy got wiped out right now. The, the rebellion is like, we just don't like having an emperor and the idea of an emperor. And I think there's higher taxes and this sucks. I could be wrong. (laughs) I would love to talk about it slash debate it with somebody at some point. But as I'm thinking it through, that's kind of what it feels like. But despite all that, I'm telling you again, I cannot recommend Andor enough because I love 
really well done stories. And this is a really well done, really well told story. I can't wait to finish it up. I can't wait to get to season two and that the season two then unfolds into Rogue One, which is one of my favorite Star Wars movies that they've ever created. I think that movie is awesome. So there you go. That's my my pitch to you is go watch Andor, please. If you love good story, you love great characters, you love beautiful set pieces, you will not be disappointed in any of that. So thank you guys again for listening. Thanks for being with me on this journey. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Get, you know, go out and get it on, get strong, lift, run, do whatever it is that you got to do, stay motivated, and please drink your water, take your vitamins, especially now that we're going into the cold and flu season, and and eat your vegetables. <laughs> I almost forgot about that one. <laughs> I love you guys. Follow me on A Hispanard on Twitter, A Hispanard on YouTube, A Hispanard on Instagram. Follow my art page as well. I've got a I've got an art page on YouTube, Alex Iniguez Art, and I'm, I post five days a week on there. I post little time-lapse uh, pieces of artwork. If you can recommend my channels and subscribe, I would be immensely grateful to you. Please, please, please spread the word. Pass it along. Again, thank you guys so much. I love you. Have a great weekend. I will talk to you very soon. Bye. <laughs>